Hello, and welcome to Beyond Prospecting, the Apper podcast, featuring thought-provoking conversations with prospect development and fundraising experts. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the APRA podcast. My name is Jill McCarville. I'm with iWave, and I'm super excited to be here doing iWave's first podcast with APRA. Uh, on the lawn with me is Marissa Todd. Hey, Marissa. Hey, Jill. How are you doing today? I am doing pretty fabulous. How are you? I'm doing great. Marissa is joining us from the Nelson Atkins Museum of Art in Kansas City. And uh, we're so happy to have Marissa with us today because Marissa seems to be a key part in all of our transitions and growth at iWave here. Um, she's been with us through a couple of different organizations she's worked with. We've seen her at numerous conferences. We've dealt with her on conference sponsorships in her local area. So we're very connected to Marissa, and we love hearing her story and having her join us on the podcast today. I would like to give a bit of an intro, Marissa, if that's okay. I want to uh, boast about you for a second here. Marissa has been working in nonprofit and higher education fundraising for over a decade. Although she has dabbled in prospect development since 2008, she has really found her passion for the profession at her first APRA conference in 2014. Since then, Marissa has focused on developing and growing small shops, first in higher education, and now at the Nelson Atkins Museum of Art. She's very involved with APRA, serving as president of the Missouri-Kansas chapter, a member of the APRA chapters committee, and the 2018 nominations committee. She has also presented at several conferences and loves to share her passion for prospect development with anyone who will listen. In her free time, because we have to hear about the free time too, Marissa likes to experiment with cooking and wine, as do I, Marissa. Uh, she devours books and loves to cheer on her favorite sports teams. So thank you so much, Marissa, for being with us today. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> I uh, do have to say also thank you for all of your uh, volunteer work with APRA. It seems like you have definitely done your basis um, through your regional chapter and the international chapter. And I can attest to your passion for prospect development and prospect research. Whenever you talk to Marissa about these subjects, her eyes light up. And that's one of the reasons we love having her with us for uh, things like this. So I'd also like to give you a brief overview of iWave before we get into the meat of the podcast. For those of you who aren't aware, iWave is a prospect research and wealth screening platform. We have actually been in the prospect uh, development space for 27 years, which most people can't believe. Um, we're gold sponsors of APRA, and APRA are our peeps. They're our primary users. Um, they're the people we love to go and meet with at conferences, and so very happy to be able to chat with you here today. Um, at iWave, we work with lots of education, healthcare, and various other nonprofit organizations whether it's your Ivy League school, a small community college, a local United Way, or some of the huge organizations um, like Doctors Without Borders, we, we work with nonprofits of all sizes. And we actually work with a lot of arts and cultural nonprofits as well, which is one of the reasons that um, Marissa brought us on with the Nelson Atkins Museum of Art. So, Marissa, uh, with that, I was wondering if you could please tell us a little bit about the museum, um, the organization itself, and the mission also. Sure. So, I just want to say thank you again for inviting me to be part of this. Um, I do love APRA. It is an amazing organization. And I love iWave. It's my favorite <laughs> prospect research tool. So, it's nice to be able to talk about two things that I really love and the work that I get to do using those two things. 
So the Nelson Atkins Museum of Art is in Kansas City, Missouri, and it is a comprehensive art museum. We have things ranging from the ancients to contemporary art in our museum, and we have featured exhibitions that come every year, multiple times throughout the year. Um, I've only been here since April, so I have only really worked in higher ed before, so I'm learning a lot about art museums and how they work, and it's very different from higher ed, but it's awesome, and I'm so happy to be part of this organization. Our mission statement is where the power of art engages the spirit of community. We are a free art museum, so we do have members that support our organization, and membership supports everything that we do, but we are free and open to the public. Um, some of the featured exhibitions have a ticket cost, but otherwise, everything at the museum that is part of our regular collection is always on display and free to the public, which is awesome. So as somebody that grew up in a city where we had free cultural opportunities like that, I think it's very important as a leading city to have free opportunities for people to come learn about art and empathy and the world. So I'm just really excited to be here and really excited to talk about what I'm doing. Yeah, that's awesome. It's uh, not even a year for you yet there, Marissa, so uh, really exciting to kind of be diving into that new world, I'm sure. One of the things you just touched on there um, sparked a question for me. You talked about the big change you had moving from the higher education space to the arts space. I'm wondering if there's a key change or a key learning that you have um, going from higher ed to arts. Well, I think, I think I always knew from being involved with APRA and talking to people that already worked outside of higher ed that, you know, higher ed is great. You have a built-in constituent base because you have alumni. And there are friends and parents who also come in and out of your radar, but by and large, you have a natural constituency. With everything else, the world is kind of your, your oyster. So... Anybody who has an interest in art could potentially become a member of our museum, could become a major donor to our museum. So the prospect pool is vast compared to what you're dealing with in higher ed. And so the way that I've had to approach thinking about how I do my work is quite different because we do have a database. We do already have many generous supporters that I can look at and run through iWave and research and figure out, you know, which of them could we maybe be moving. But there are so many other people out there in Kansas City and other areas of the country who love art, who appreciate what we do. The Nelson Atkins has a very great reputation around the country and the world. So just because somebody lives in California doesn't necessarily mean that they wouldn't be interested in supporting what we do. So it's just broadened the scope of what I do. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think that's really key. One of the big findings I think this year in the Giving USA report was around this whole switch to interests. It's no longer just about does someone have money um, and in the case of higher education, did they attend the university or did they, their child attend the university? Now it's all about interests. And so with the museum um, and the arts world, I think you guys obviously get to play on that so much because, like you said, wherever they are, if they're passionate about arts in the world, then you can, I think, probably have some fun doing prospect identification. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, awesome. Uh, wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your development department, um, how it was evolved, kind of how many researchers there are or lack thereof, 
um, and how you're structured. Sure. So we have a brand new vice president of development. Well, I guess she's not brand new anymore. She started in January. And so this is the first ever prospect research position the museum has actually had. Um, no. She had a lot <laughs> She had a lot of experience at other museums and she actually also worked for Sundance and she had experience working with prospect researchers and felt very strongly that that was something that she needed on her team in order to be more strategic and make sure we were maximizing our fundraising efforts. So I was the first new position that was created under her leadership, and so I was fortunate enough to come on board in April, so I've been here for almost six months now, and it's been a lot to learn just because I'm new to a museum culture, so that's a lot to learn, but also since we had not had anybody doing prospect research or relationship management, um, when I arrived, the major gift officers sort of had portfolios, but not really. There was no real relationship management stuff set up in the system. We had a research tool. The previous head of development had screened some of our records, but nobody had really done any work with that. They had just sort of gone through the motions of sending the file off and getting results back and not really qualified any of it or put any of it in the system or done anything else with it. So there were some pieces and parts happening, but really since I've arrived, it's been a lot of focus on building the foundation in our database so that we can have portfolios and good relationship management practices, um, screening some of our generous donors to figure out, you know, who are the people we should really be spending our time with and on to try to move them closer to the museum. We raise a significant amount of money every year, and we've by and large done that just because this community is very generous and people give when we bring up, oh, we have a Napoleon exhibition going on, oh, we have this exhibition going on, oh, we have a gala, people open their checkbooks and give, but we've never really gone to people strategically and said, we know your interest is X, here are all these delightful things we're doing, your gifts support everything the museum has going on, would you make an investment of X? So it's a culture change for the entire organization, and it's a really exciting time to be a part of our development operation and we've had some turnover as happens with new leaders so right now we're actually rehiring several of our major gift positions and we just filled some of our membership positions so it's for me it's really exciting to be on the ground floor of building a very high performing team that's very data driven and implementing some best practices and some new tools so that we can really you know just increase our fundraising hand over hand. That's awesome. I, it does sound like it was a bit of a double-edged sword there. Um, obviously, it's probably a lot of work and you're blazing a brand new trail, so there's a lot of learning, but having that opportunity to be able to kind of shape the research department and influence the, um, the structure and the, the new way things are done must be extremely exciting. It is. Every day is a new adventure. <laughs> That's how I feel too. Uh, what about your use of tools at the shop? So like I said, when I arrived, um, we already had a research tool that the previous leader of the department had selected and I went in and started using it. It was not a tool that I had used in several years. I found that many of the results that we were getting were very inaccurate. I was having to do a lot of work around to try to verify information and didn't feel real good that what they were returning was helping us find the best prospects. So um, our fiscal year actually runs May to April. 
so since I started in the middle of April, we had like two weeks before the new fiscal year started, and I went to my VP, who again is very amazing, and was like, hey, this tool is not very awesome. I think that we need something else. I had previously been using iWave at my last organization, and iWave has been on my radar since that first APRA conference in 2014, So, and I knew that iWave was pretty affordable, and we use Tessitura, and so I was aware that Tessitura integrated with iWave, which could potentially be a little time-saving for me. So I immediately contacted my salesperson, Rob McKinnon, who is amazing, and let him know, hey, I have a very short time frame to make a decision, but I'm thinking that this might be the research tool that we could like squeeze into our budget this year. And so I was able to get iWave within the first two weeks of landing here, which was pretty awesome because the tool that I had was definitely not something that I felt confident using going forward. And then we also do have a subscription to another database through a consultant friend of mine, and I haven't used it quite as much because I find for what I'm doing, iWave is very easy to use, and it just, once you're familiar with it, like, I find it to be the easiest tool to use, and so I've actually convinced a couple of my colleagues to, like, look at it because I'm like, it's so easy. <laughs> That's awesome. What are their roles? Are they major gift officers? Um, no, colleagues at other institutions that are doing prospect research work. Awesome. And you mentioned, Marissa, um, you're starting at the museum. It's uh, You're shaping the new department and how things are going to work. And one of the things you said there was you're building the foundation of the database. So I'm wondering if you could expand on that a little bit and kind of um, explain how that's going and your life pre-iWave versus post-iWave as you try to do build that foundation in your database. Sure. So the when I got here, the couple weeks that we were using the other tool, and when I arrived, there was a big event happening like three weeks later. So one of the first things I was asked to do was, hey, please research all these people. We need to figure out, like, who's coming to this event that we should get to know. It's an event that's put on by an outside committee. So by and large, they're people that are not members of the museum and that we don't know very well. So this was a good opportunity for us to sort of see who's coming to this that, you know, we need to make sure the director or the VP, like, get in front of, say hello, so they can follow up and meet them later. Um, I did not feel very confident using that tool. There's not a lot of historic data in our system about our relationships with donors. And so one of the things that I still struggle with is feeling like I have a good grasp on whether or not we already know people. And there wasn't a lot of wealth data because, again, we had used this old system to do a screening. We hadn't put any of that in the system. I'm actually grateful we didn't do that given how bad the results were. But I knew that if we were going to start building portfolios once we got through this event, we really needed to figure out who were the people we need to know so we're not just calling on the usual suspects and assuming those are the people that we should actually be talking to. So um, it was important to me to get a new tool so that we could screen some of the people in our database. We have over 200,000 records, so it's a little overwhelming to think about the entirety of our data set. So I focused on a small portion of our data to try to screen to lay the foundation for helping build out portfolios for our major gift officers. And so, unfortunately, we've had a lot of turnover, so I haven't really built out portfolios yet, but we have been working through that data, and that's helpful because then when we do hire our new staff, I will be able to very quickly build portfolios and feel confident that I'm giving them 
members and donors or maybe prospects that have interacted with us but we don't know very well who show that they have capacity. And what I like about iWave is we can see if they have affinity based on their giving so that I can be pointing them in the right direction so that they're hopefully going to have success going out and calling on people instead of just revisiting the usual suspects. Okay. And so how did you go about doing that? Um, the evaluation you were doing for the event, was that an individual lookup by name or was that more of a wealth screening type exercise? So for that, I was doing an individual lookup by name, and that was in the old tool. So it was very time-consuming, and then it was a lot of validating. And actually, I've been doing the same thing for the last couple weeks because we have a gala coming up soon. And so in the same vein, most of the people that are coming are already members, but they may be people we don't know very well. So um, I have not batch screened them because it was easier just to look them up as they were registering. So I've just looked them up individually. but. Um, I have done a screening of 2,300 people in our database who are members or were donors at a certain level or were previously assigned to the staff that were here when I arrived. So we could just sort of get a baseline, and I figured that would be a good pool to start with in terms of building portfolios. And so that information I did export and then upload through the um, bulk screening tool and then got those results back and have been working through verifying those results so that we can ensure that we're assigning the best prospects to our staff when we hire them. Awesome. That sounds uh, like a great method. <laughs> sounds like you have your head really wrapped around how to go about this, so I'm impressed, Marissa. Um, some of the other challenges that I know you've expressed to us um, around understanding the capacity of your database, and I know most clients say to us, they, people tend to have a couple of challenges. They either need new prospects or they have this database, like you guys do, 200,000 people, and they describe it to us as this black hole. They know a bunch of people in there really well, uh, off the back of their hand. But then there's the rest of it is like this black hole that you're, you know there's some stuff in there, but it's really hard to kind of understand what what is in there. Like, who are these people? What kind of capacity do they have? What are their interests? Um, so I know that you've expressed a bit of a challenge with understanding the capacity of your database as well. Wondering if you could talk a little bit about that and uh, whether or not I've been able to help you overcome that to date. Yeah, so again, when I got here, I was like, how many records? And they were like, oh, there's over 200,000. I was like, oh my gosh, that's a lot. Um, <laughs> I don't know any service that you can batch screen 200,000, at least not for a whole heck of a lot of money, and that didn't seem like a good use of resources. So um, after we got through that event and I got settled, then I decided, okay, if we're going to start trying to build out portfolios, we really should start with a subset of people that have already been identified in some way as people that we should probably be paying attention to, whether or not we already know them. I thought that was also a good exercise just to make sure that, like, the data was going to be good. I had full faith that it would be since I've been using iWave and it has proven to still be very accurate. So I was very pleased about that, especially in comparison to the other product we were using. So again, I pulled 2,300 people out of the system who were people who were already donors over six figures, who were members at the $500 level or more, people who had indicated that we were in their estate plans, people who had been previously previously assigned to either executive leadership or to the major gift staff that was here. And we bulk screened those folks so that I could start assessing 
who should be in portfolios. At that point, I still had major gifts people here. And so when we got the results back, I asked them, like, which of the folks that you, like, in our database do you think are actually in your portfolio right now? If we have to start somewhere, like, who? And those were the people that I actually verified first. So I could say, yes, I agree. This person definitely has capacity. You should keep them. Or, no, I'm not sure why you think this person should be in your portfolio when it's clear their capacity is only, like, $5,000 a year and you're supposed to raise $25,000 gifts. So that was a good exercise for us to go through. I'm really excited because, again, I've only screened 2,300 people, so there's still, like, almost 200,000 people left in the database. We have a new membership manager coming on who is going to be responsible for managing all those lower-level memberships, 500 and less, and she is very data-driven, and so we have already been talking about bulk screening the rest of our membership, which I think I have enough credits to get all of them into that screening, and that way she can use that data to help us segment better and also we can hopefully very quickly identify some people that maybe we should be moving up into our higher level membership. Maybe we should be thinking about putting those people in major gift portfolios. So as much as it kind of stinks that we don't have major gift staff right now, I think it's great that we are reforming our membership team and rethinking about how we do that because we can sort of lay that pipeline work before the major gift team gets here and have a good basis for building out their portfolios. Yeah, that would be awesome. And to be able to get the rest of those screens in um, to better understand that group with the new individual coming in, that would be great, too. It's on my list for next week. <laughs> Let us know if we can help. Um, I will. <laughs> or Rob. Rob or I. Uh, the, some of the other things I think you've talked about doing in the past, challenges um, that you've had or research that you've done, was around research for your corporate team. Yes, so this is the first place I've actually worked where we've had people dedicated to raising money from corporations, which is new for me, but also exciting because I haven't done a lot of corporate research. I actually, um, Upper Great Plains is putting on a whole conference around corporate research, which I'm going to drive up to Omaha and go to. I'm very excited to help supplement my limited knowledge in this area, but one of the things I think is great about not having a lot of corporate research knowledge is iWave can help you with that. Um, I love that in the 360 search, you can go look for a business. You can't, you, it's not just searching on individuals. You can actually look up businesses, and then you can see their public giving. You can find out information from ZoomInfo about their assets. We've even be, been able to find, you know, key contacts that maybe aren't listed on websites that we can at least have a place to start with. Um, so it's been very useful. Um, one of the things that we've been wanting to work on which I'm excited to go learn about at Upper Great Plains and then figure out how to use iWave to do those things is to really develop better corporate ask strategies. And so just because I haven't really worked with corporate fundraising before, I don't feel like I have enough skills to do that. So there is a whole session at their conference that's just about that. So I'm excited to go learn about how other people are formulating those things and then come back and really dig more into iWave's corporate research section and help our team since now is the time that our businesses want to be solicited. It's the end of their year, they're budgeting. And so this, all of this is coming at the perfect time for me to really be able to help our corporate team take those relationships where they want them to go. 
Yeah, exactly. Like you said, it's the perfect time of year, but also I've just noticed so much more buzz in the industry over the last year or two around corporate giving, and it seems like there's kind of a shift from the individual giving focus to the corporate giving focus, and I don't know if it has anything to do with the Giving USA report or not, but one of the biggest findings from that report, or biggest wows for me anyway, was uh, it, the giving, charitable giving is up overall. Philanthropy is doing extremely well in 2017, but the number of individuals who are giving is actually down. Um, so I think it that probably speaks to the fact that organizations are trying to get so much more sophisticated with their fundraising intelligence to go beyond the individual and dig into corporate and all the other ways that you can uh, do fundraising. And Marissa, uh, I think time is running out here, um, but I'm wondering if, I'm sure there's so many other people that are going to listen to this podcast who have been in your shoes. You started a new um, started a new organization who had never had a researcher on staff, and, and I cheered when you said that because so many more nonprofits, I think, are realizing the value of having a researcher on staff and um, what that can bring to the organization and uh, the the level that you can escalate your fundraising with that. But so for all those other people who are on and listening to this, if you had one piece of advice or one piece of learning um, as you're trailblazing this new department with your new VP and you're going in there as the sole researcher, what's the one thing you would pass on to listeners or the one learning that you've had um, that you, since you've started that journey? Well, I think as a prospect research professional, it's really important, especially if you're a solo researcher or trying to build something new, to be a part of APRA. Um, I still feel very fortunate that I had a leader who invested in me going to that first APRA conference, and I took that opportunity to meet every vendor that I did not already know and learn about their products and to meet new people and make connections. And I credit many of those people as friends and colleagues, but also why I'm where I'm at today. Um, I really only have been doing this kind of work full time for four years. So the fact that I'm building a program at a place that's as well regarded as the Nelson Atkins Museum of Art Still, some days I can't, I'm like, pinch me, like I can't believe that I'm the person that they hired to do this sometimes because I have a lot of fundraising experience, but my work in this particular area full time has actually only been for a few years. But I love this work. As you said, like I light up when I talk about it. I just think it's so important to helping organizations move forward and being a part of APRA and having access to podcasts like this and conferences and the APRA University content, and just the friends and mentors that I've met. Like, I know I can call or email or text at least a dozen people right now if I had a pressing question, and I use the Prospect L to ask questions, especially since I'm in a CRM I've never been in before. So for me, as somebody who's only worked in solo shops, it's been so important to have good vendors who are willing to take the time to explain things and answer questions, and the backing of APRA to reach out and learn and, you know, hone my skills so that I can make sure that I'm building something for my organization that's going to outlast me and benefit everything that we're trying to do. That's awesome. Um, and as you just said there, uh, I love that you have all those people that you could uh, reach out to with a question. But as you said, 
I've only actually been in this industry as well for three and a half years. And I can totally echo your comments on the close-knit community. The prospect research community has been amazing, and it's wowed me ever since I got here because everyone very close to the Afro International Conference is the event of the year. So um, I second your thoughts on that one. And just to end off, what's the one thing that you're most looking forward to tackling in 2019 as your, at your second year at your organization? Well, I'm really excited that we will have new staff, and so then we'll be able to build out portfolios. And then I'm really, I'm really actually excited about even coming back in a couple weeks and really diving into the corporate research because, again, it's something I haven't done a lot of. I've used the iWave tool to get in and do what I can based on the knowledge I have, but um, our corporate team has some really big, audacious plans, and so I can't wait to come back and really support them in their efforts and then support our individual major gifts people once we get them on board. And I know with the research tools that we have and the support I have from my leadership and from APRA, like, we're going to just bust it out of the park. Yeah, definitely. That's the attitude. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, Marissa. I uh, love hearing about your organization and how you use iWave and um, the campaigns and events that you have going on there. So um, thanks again for sharing all that information with us. And uh, feel free to let us know if we can help you as you move forward with any of that stuff. And I so will, for sure. Good. Thank you for everyone for tuning in today to the podcast. Um, again, my name is Jill McCarville with iWave. Uh, if you have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out, jill.mccarville at iWave.com. Um, Marissa, I'm not sure if you have any contact information you'd like to share. Sure. If anybody has questions, they can email me at mtodd, T-O-D-D, at nelson-atkins.org. Awesome. And with that, we'll uh, say goodbye. Thanks again, Marissa. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Beyond Prospecting, the APRA podcast. To discover all that APRA has to offer, visit aprahome.org. For links to content featured in this episode, check out the show notes. If you like the show and want to help others find us, please subscribe to and rate us on iTunes. Until next time.